Welcome to the DSO Connect podcast. I'm Casey, and today we are bringing you part two of our conversation with Chasta Hamilton. If you haven't yet listened to the first part of this conversation, I highly recommend you go back to last week's episode and listen to the first part and then jump back into today's episode. So I hope everyone enjoys. Thanks so much for listening. I think you've you've really hit on a a gem of a topic. I'm so excited and I feel like you're my spirit animal because I Casey and I knew when I started my business 29 years ago that competition was not in alignment with my values even though I had never really experienced it it just didn't seem right and you kind of had you lived through it and are speaking from experience whereas my voice was kind of like well you don't know because you never really gave it a chance and I I felt so validated reading your book because I was like see See? (laughs) she lived it and she is you know backing me up um so I really really connected with with your book and um I I just want to thank you for for putting it into into the universe because and I hope that that the message falls on on lots of ears of lots of studio owners that are ready to make a real substantial change yeah it's exciting I mean it is it is a really weird and stressful time um and I I do want to just say that Robin so Robin and I met at a dance exec event years ago and Robin and I wasn't sure that this was the Robin until I got on the call this morning and asked and confirmed. Um, I, and I was leading the seminar in the session and we were talking about conflict and I was like, I don't like conflict. And Robin was like, I'll take the challenges. I love them and see them as like an opportunity um, to dig in and grow. And that like stamped on my soul Um, And all of these years, I've kept thinking about Robin and how she's out there, like fighting the challenges. Um, (laughs) And I found that so inspiring. And to be able to reconnect is, you know, it's just the world puts people in your life for a reason. That's exactly what I was thinking when you said that. And I just, I feel like you were just like a little guardian angel or something that day at the Dance Exec Seminar. (laughs) That is so interesting. I'm a firm believer that the universe has a plan and... Um, I remember attending that, that seminar in New York that day. And actually, interesting, I think that that was the day. Okay, so I did wake up one morning and question, am I doing my dancers a disservice by not allowing them to even taste the dance competition world? Am I, have I made a judgment uh, about something that I've never really experienced and should I try it? So I took my top dancers, um, there was about eight of them, to a uh, competition in New York just to try it. And while they were at some convention classes, that's when I snuck away and went to your your seminar. So isn't it weird how it all kind of came full circle? But we didn't, as a studio owner, I had some very visceral feelings of negativity, just being in the environment. I didn't, I didn't like, um, and you even mention it, is it event decorum? Um, the, the lack of event decorum. And, you know, as a, 
as a person who comes from a classical training, you know, there are certain ways that we need to behave in a theater and that is not the case in dance competitions. It's more of a, a sporting event mm -hmm. vibe. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, I came out of the experience of that competition with my own ideas validated, but um, it's just very interesting that the universe has put us back in each other's paths right now. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really fascinated by that. Interesting. I love it. Like I am looking for all of the wins right now and all of the ways. And I just, I am such a believer in like whispers of like, yeah, you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think this is just what, you know, one of those opportunities that shows the power of our industry um, and how, you know, five, six years can pass and, um, you know, but you, you really stuck with me that day. Well, thank you. You did. You stuck with me too. That's so beautiful. <laughs> We're just a mutual admiration society. <laughs> Yay. Um, Chastity, there's another, another little excerpt that I would love for you to read um, on the topic of whether or not competitions are, um, are an actual accurate representation and preparation for an actual career in dance. Um, it's page 175, the third paragraph that's, that starts with many justified dance competitions. Here it is. Many justify dance competitions as a necessary preparatory step towards working in the entertainment industry. The trophies don't prepare us for the reality of the entertainment industry. Instead, they give us a false sense of accomplishment that isn't rooted in reality. In the entertainment industry, you must learn material at a moment's notice. You don't have months to polish and perfect routines for adjudication. You don't get to pick your best style. It requires the ability to conform to the overall vision of the creative team. I thought that was such an important point because like Robin was saying, are we, are, are we by choosing to not compete at our studios, depriving our students of an opportunity that is going to be helpful for them in preparation mm -hmm. for what real life is like in the dance industry. And it's just, maybe it's helpful in that it prepares you for that large scale experience where you're surrounded by other dancers. Um, but, but there's really nothing else out there in the dance world like competitions except competitions yeah it's kind of its own um own wild west um you know entity because you can't show up for an audition for a production of anything goes and say oh i'm gonna opt out of tap because i'm gonna do my ballet solo because that's my best style um so it's just it's just like you know i just don't think the process as it currently exists works and you know i would talk about how there are people that travel every single weekend to different cities like constantly chasing notoriety whatever that means um because at the end of the day these are kids right they're kids and and what are we teaching them and what is this going to give them later on in life right so let's go back to pre-covid life tell us what a day in the life of chasta looks like with all your hands in so many different buckets and being involved in so many different organizations and activities what's what's your life look like so i don't really have um the same day to day on any day it's very day dependent and luckily like i just i love what i do well pre-covid days i would wake up have some coffee 
work out, eat breakfast. I'm a three square meals a day girl. So mm -hmm. I always eat all my meals. Um, the mornings are typically for emails, organization, making sure communications are all aligned. Then it's usually lunchtime. So then I have lunch. And then usually early afternoon, I'm at, a, at one of the studios um, doing more vision and strategy um, preparation. And then when it's, you know, go time and the studios kind of rev up, um, try to be like a little more interactive between staff, students, clients. Um, that's like a basic day. But, you know, if I had like a theater production, I would go to a theater rehearsal at night. Um, there's some days when I set choreography or teach a class at the studio. So it's, you know, it keeps me on my toes. And what I realized from doing that internship with the attorney general, which I talk about in the book, was that was not how I wanted to live my life, which was like a, you know, eight to four every single day, sit at the desk, noon is lunch, and then you leave and then you don't think about it. And I, I really like the challenge of the game of business mm -hmm. because it is a game. Um, and I mean, we're really playing a game right now <laughs> more than ever. Okay. So, you know, we, uh, my, my days look pretty similar to that even now, but um, we rolled out all these academic enrichment programs. So now the studios are rolling from like 7.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m., which has taken like a different curve um, and it's just constantly trying to stay a few steps ahead so that you're not standing still or, or falling behind. Yeah. You talk a lot about time management, executive functioning, and those skills that you try to teach in the Girls Geared for Greatness organization, but also, you know, that, that are requirements for effective leadership. Um, so can you talk a little bit about some things that you've learned when it comes to time management and executive functioning. One thing that drives me crazy is when a student says, I can't come to class tonight because I, the so-and-so project or thing has, isn't done. Because it's like, well, if you aren't able to come to class, it's because you have misprioritized your time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I stay ahead of things. I stay on top of deadlines. I'm type A, so this COVID life has been really challenging for me as I typically like to live nine to 15 months ahead of time on my planning. And that has gone to a total screeching halt. Um, so this has been a good opportunity for me to kind of focus on what can I see today um, and how can I build these unknowns and also not drive myself crazy. So it's, it's this whole thing. And you know, I use a paper planner, which people are fascinated by. Like, I do not like Google Calendar. It drives me crazy. Um, <laughs> so I, I keep everything organized. And I'm always looking just a few steps ahead. Um, and I try to live my life in a way so that I never have to say no to things that I want to do. So like, if a show comes up or if interviews come up, like, I'm always ahead enough that all of these things can still work out. And I think that's just purposeful and intentional use of your time. And um, time is our greatest resource. It's the one thing that we don't get back. So I believe in making sure the minutes matter. And, you know, sometimes like if I need to take a break from everything that's happening, that is like watching a movie, but maybe it's not like watching 10 hours of TV in a row, you know? So it's, it's a balance, but I just the hustle kind of excites me and I do kind of enjoy it. And I'm still working on figuring out a work-life balance. 
So that's the cult that I cannot lead. (laughs) (laughs) That leads me to the next excerpt that I'd love for you to read. Um, It's on page 199. The paragraph that starts at the bottom of page 199 that starts, be wary of falling prey to the epidemic of fossil corn. Yeah. Isn't that such a fascinating term? I just learned it like a year and a half ago. (laughs) I still relate to that. Um, be wary of falling prey to the epidemic of hustle porn. Comparison is the thief of joy. And if you find yourself venturing down the rabbit hole of comparison, stop. Whether you are comparing your business, your talents, your child, or your perceived success or lack thereof, it's probably not healthy or productive. Take control over your behavior and your usage of time. Keep your eye on positive, productive action. Remember success takes time, takes energy, takes failure. You will fail more than you succeed, but you will keep trying. And in the effort, you'll discover opportunity and victory that is far sweeter. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, and the whole hustle porn thing is like, you know, wake up and grind, like wake up and hustle and hustle till that whole, it's like a, it's, it's a whole epidemic really. And it's, it just leads to burnout. I mean, you can't run your life or your business that way because it's not sustainable. And we talk about that in DSO Connect all the time. It is not sustainable. And I see it happening in so many industries of people that are like, oh my gosh, look at all the work I did today. It's like, okay, great. We're all working a lot. Like we all want to do our best. Um, And you know, it's, there's a bit of a sadness to it because a lot of the hustle porn comes from a point of needing affirmation or validation from external sources. Um, And that's just, like you said, it's not sustainable and it's really not healthy because on any given day, the people that maybe one day are interested in what's happening with you via social media are going to jump their interest to someone else. And without that validation, are you still going to be able to keep going? You know, it's a question of, are you working for what's right? and for yourself versus this opinion of others. Yeah, that's so important. You talk in the book about the four to one ratio of positive feedback to constructive criticism. And that made me think of how as business owners, we don't get that a lot. We don't get that positive feedback that, um, that we need to feel fulfilled and, and to feel validated. Um, what are some ways that you have found that you've, find that positive feedback for yourself. Yeah, you know, they say it's very lonely at the top. And it's true, because we spend so much time building up and motivating others. And often there's nobody like checking in on us and saying like, hey, did you survive? Um, So one thing that I started doing is I like I screenshot every positive feedback that I get, just because when you get that negative feedback, it just it can make you forget every positive feedback you've ever received in your entire life. Yes, and it so, looms, that, that one negative email looms so large in your mind. So large. I noticed in your book, you had actual quotes from conversations that happened years ago. And I was oh, like, yeah. she must save, she must have like a filing system for all kinds of feedback from parents because you were able to say, in, in this moment, in 2015, this was the, this is what this customer said to me. And I thought that was, that was good. So I did have to dig a little bit for those. I don't revisit the negative ones as much, but I, I do, I keep it all because it's, it's 
it's archival history, right? Um, and going back and reading some of those from the competition days was, I could, you know, because you move forward and you don't think about what happened. And as I was writing the book, I had to kind of revisit some of those days. And I was like, oh, that was heavy. And I, I do think we just have to cling to that positive. And I've even started telling people, like, if they send um, a compliment about the studio or our programming, I say, you know, well, you know, I so appreciate you sending this. We're working to improve our external storytelling. Would you mind sharing it? You know, a Google review, social media, those types of things, because it's so much easier for people to jump on the internet when they're angry mm. um, and to show, you know, belligerence um, versus like, you don't really see people that often being like, woo, this is awesome. This is great. So that's one thing that we're trying to infuse into our culture is let's celebrate the happy moments together. That's great. So another thing I was just thinking is uh, you talk about revisiting conflict. And um, recently during this whole COVID thing, I've spent a lot of time in this room in, in my office. And one day I just, I needed to get off the screen and I went to clean out a file drawer. And I actually had a file of letters or printed out emails from conflicts that I've had with different parents over the years. God knows why I saved them, but it was an interesting rabbit hole to go down because in your book, as Casey pointed out, is so much about leadership and communication and how to do it correctly. I realized how many mistakes I had made in a lot of these conversations. And it was almost a little bit embarrassing and uncomfortable to look back at like an interaction I had in 2003 and how I, I would never deal with a customer that way now. Um, but it was a little uncomfortable. I could only do it for about 10 minutes. And then I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, why am I saving this? But it, it does give you some perspective. And it gives you, it, reading your book and seeing the, the different ways that you lay out in a very cut and dry manner. Like, these are the, the points that you should be considering when you're trying to be an effective communicator. Um, it, it kind of just highlighted all of that for me. You know, I have a girlfriend, one of my very best girlfriends, and every time she communicates, she wants to send like eight to 10 paragraphs to the, pe to the people. And she'll say, does this sound good? And I'm like, they're not going to hear your message. Like it's way too long. Um, and that was something I had to learn too, because I always wanted to over explain. Mm -hmm. um, and I've just realized like everyone is so overstimulated right now. Um, emails and texts and there's just so much communication that you really have to hone in on the message um, in your communication and that was one reason I did not want to write like a five or six hundred page book <laughs> because I was like nobody has time for this like it needs everything has to be very digestible yeah I received an email the other day from a parent and I just found myself it was like an essay and I just went to the bottom to find out are you withdrawing or you're not withdrawing. And now, now I know. And now I went back and I skimmed it, but I still didn't. And then when we had the conversation, she said, well, did you read the da, 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 da in the seventh paragraph? And I was like, no, I, I did not. I did not read that. I got your gist and that's what I'm going to move on. You know, one thing I've noticed as we've kind of been in crisis leadership, which is, you know, even higher and more demanding than regular leadership is um, I've, I've had to jump back into a lot of communications over the past five months because, you know, it's things that maybe I haven't trained my staff on yet or involving safety protocols or vision direction. Um, and in March, I noticed that we had hit like 30,000 emails in a particular inbox. And as I answered emails in March, April, May, by the time we hit June, 
we were at almost 44,000. So we had responded to 14,000. It took us six, seven years to hit 30,000. And in three, four months, we had 14,000 more emails. Oh my God. Because that's, you know, that's how we were. We didn't have a lobby. We didn't have a front desk. Um, so I think that keeping things digestible is more important now than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And having multiple ways for people to consume your messaging is so important. You know, having it in the email and in your Facebook group, on your website, just making it, making all of your messaging really accessible. So something that I was thinking about while reading your book, I, I am not a huge fan of the motivational business type of books. Um, but I, but I loved your book because it was so relatable to me because it's my, it's specifically my industry. And that got me wondering, like, why aren't there more books about our industry? Um, why do you think that is? Well, I'm in complete agreement with you about the general like motivational sphere. Like mm -hmm. I have had a stack in the past, you know, the badass books, the Brene Brown, the, um, Rachel Hollis, like everybody seems to really gravitate towards those. And I would try to skim them, but the messaging didn't, it just felt too like polished. Yeah. Um, and that just, that didn't work for me. Um, so one, I don't know why there aren't more books in our industry. I think maybe because we focus so much on the medium of performance that maybe we don't realize the value in the written side. It also just requires like a lot of focus and time. Mm -hmm. um, to put a book together. Um, but there should be, and there should be more about, I mean, what a fascinating industry we are, right? Like we're predominantly um, female-led, mm -hmm. maybe one of the few industries in the world that has the ratios of, of female CEOs. So I wish that there was more focus and um, recognition of just the transformative leadership and power of our industry, because I think it often gets overlooked or excused as just an extracurricular. And, you know, and even just with releasing this book, uh, the, the team that I've been working with is amazing, but there is kind of this like, oh, it's a book about dance. And it's like, well, it's not. It's, it's actually about so much more than that, which is what we do every single day. Um, we do dance, but we're also running incredibly successful businesses um, with a level of intelligence and fortitude as any other so I just, I do wish that the attention could be a little less um, on like the dance mom side of things, because I feel like that's kind of set the branding for our industry, like in the mainstream media market. And I find that incredibly frustrating. So I hope that maybe this book could just be a starting point of shifting the camera to like the better side of what we do. Yeah, I think it's going to make a difference. I, I really encourage people to read it. Is there going to be an audiobook version? There may be, there may be, there's not yet, but it could, it could be in the future. And we're also going to be rolling out after Labor Day. So this is coming soon. We're going to be doing book club sheets for dancers and studio owners. And they'll be posted on my website um, for, there'll be free of charge. So if people aren't engaging in like discussions, they'll just kind of be general um, questions because it is, you know, our, we have a leadership lab for our teens at the studio and they're doing the book as a book club with their facilitator and, it's just, it's a great way to start conversation um, because when we first extracted ourselves from the industry, you know, the, the kids were questioning like, well, are people still going to think we're successful or not? And 
you know, it's, it's the conversation of, well, we want to teach you to be competitive in life, not just at like isolated events. So in having these conversations, I think it helps people understand just their inner power more. Something that you point out that really was jaw dropping to me was just the sheer numbers. Um, I think you quoted 52,000 dancers at one competition brand in a year. 52,000. I mean, that is a lot of children. And what is the overall impact, not just of this, this slice of the industry, but on a generation of children? And to think of it, to, to use the word, a word that you mentioned earlier about running your business, but about, but this is a, this is a huge macro view of our industry's impact on society. And if there are that many children attending dance competitions, what is that doing to the overall mindset of this generation? Or how many people do we exclude just because that's their perception of that's what we do. And that was a really enlightening conversation for me. I was um, as an alum back in doing interviews for the scholarship program that I was a part of in college. And one of my panel, my fellow panelists goes, well, um, I would never enroll my student in dance because I see like those competitions and the outfits that they wear. And I took it as an educational moment and said, well, you know, we actually did used to do that, but we don't anymore. And this is why. Um, but people don't understand. They don't realize that's why this book is really important, not just for like inner industry, but also parents just to have this understanding that, um, yes, that is out there and that's a piece of the market, but the competitive dance industry is actually not the dance education industry. Mm -hmm. And with that, that, you know, understanding needs to be made. Yeah. That's a, that's a point to be highlighted. The dance competition industry is not the dance education industry. That's great. And we can't let what's happening in the dance competitive industry impact our studios. And I was seeing a lot of conversation kind of during the pandemic about places not offering refunds or the supplemental experiences maybe not being adequate. Um, and again, you know, there's that conflict of is that tying valuation or devaluation to your business and how do you navigate that? I would, for one, I was very grateful that this was a decision that we kind of navigated in 2015. But in a lot of ways, it was harder for us at that time because no one else was doing it. We were kind of going rogue. And now the stage is set for change. Like people are anticipating change. This is a great time to, to activate kind of new things and to head in different directions because the world is kind of saying, go for it. Yeah, and I'm wondering if COVID will kind of create a change in people's perception of dance competitions and their importance in their programming, um, but also if it will change how dance competitions are run. I know some competitions are doing just one studio at a time. So you come in, you do all your numbers, and then your studio leaves. And I think that's just such a different approach to it. And will that stay? Because I know a lot of studio owners are really enjoying it. <laughs> but it's, and my question to that is like, why wouldn't you just pay for a venue? Right. Why wouldn't you just pay for a venue and bring in your own? And make it a showcase make where you showcase. can generate revenue. Right, exactly. Yes, why not do that in your, on your own ground, on your own rules? Like that's and under your brand. Exactly, yes, for a lot less money. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, there were so many parent questions that were arising kind of right before we left. And I would, I didn't have answers to them. I was like, what you're saying, like your issues with the competitive dance industry are things that I completely agree with. Um, and by validating it, I'm doing a disservice to everyone. So that's, that's the thing. And, you know, when you do have these things where it's like, you're the only one that shows up and they've set up a stage and lights for you and they provide a trophy, you know, why couldn't that just be a production extension of your brand as you continue to grow your business? Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, there's this mindset of this is how we've always done it. Mm -hmm. Um, But disruption is okay. Like this could be really meaningful disruption for dance studio businesses right now. Yes, absolutely. And, And there are certainly plenty of studios out there who don't participate in dance competitions like my studio and like Robin's studio and I've heard of those of studios that started out that way shifting to doing competition but I've never heard of a studio going the opposite direction from that yours did from from doing competitions as a very core part of their studio experience to not doing competitions and I think it's you know it's definitely very brave of you to even have done that at all. And this past spring, I was doing webinars with Two Two Ticks and Jack Rabbit, just kind of on like navigating the pandemic. And I connected with a studio owner in Ohio, and she was like, "I'm ready." She was like, "I've got to get, I've got to figure out something." And you know, we talked a few times, and sure enough, by the time she launched her new season, she had this entire rebranding for her, you know, elevated dancers figured out. And it's been amazing. And, you know, she's so she's so gracious and will reach out and update me. But it's possible and other people are reaping the benefits of it. So it's, it's just a, it's a great time for change and for optimism and for leadership. The world needs more of it. I love the quote that you included in the book from one of your parents talking about um, the conversation that you had in your individual meetings to 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 release the news of, of this shift in your studio. And you said, one of your parents said, this program seems much truer to what you've always said you represent. And I wonder how true that is for a lot of other studios out there. How many studios say they're about having a nurturing environment? They say they're about having a family-oriented community. And maybe because of or in in a reflection of their involvement in competitions, maybe that's just not the reality of what it's actually like to experience their studio. So, and I think, you know, that just goes back to how you have to define your values and you have to walk the walk. And it sounds like you realized you had your values over here and you had what you were actually doing over there and they weren't matching up. That's exactly right. Um, And it is really hard to say that you've gotten off path. You know, I mean, that's a hard thing to kind of come to terms with. But for me, the pain of what this was doing to our business and just to our, you know, happiness and our culture was really wreaking havoc. Like I would be in Target and I would break out in hives or I would sit in the car and cry before I would go into the studio. And it's just like, you know, at some point, like, there has to be a better way. And that ultimately is what pushed me to this point. And when the mom said that, I was like, you are so right. And I will spend every day continuing to elevate and reinvent this messaging and this branding to make sure that the alignment is there. And when you have those boundaries, it makes um, conflict so much easier to navigate. 
Yeah, when you know exactly this is our mission, these are our values, this is what our program is about, you have that, you have all of those things to back up your decisions. And it's much easier to say to parents who are maybe dissatisfied, no, this is the way it is because of our values and our mission. And if that doesn't align with what you want for your child, then perhaps you need to find a new studio. <laughs> and, you know, just thinking about the community performances, it's so nice and the families love the fact that they can give up a couple of hours on a Saturday. They can still go, you know, for dinner or ice cream or something socially, you know, not in pre-COVID times. Um, and have that camaraderie without, you know, 40-hour weekends, hotels, traveling, packing up the family, worrying about the siblings. Um, it just, I, I constantly tell people the dance studio should not be a stressful environment. Like this should be where you can just kind of breathe and know you're a part of the community and know that you're taken care of. And that, that wasn't happening with competition and it is happening now. And I think parents appreciate that. Yeah, and part of your program now um, is, is encouraging students to find other performing arts opportunities outside of your studio. So can you talk a little bit about how you support those endeavors in your students and how you handle the issue of attendance? Yeah, that was another huge issue with competition was if one person was out for something, it was detrimental to the whole group because they had been rehearsing, everyone had a lot of finances on the line. And even when you had understudies, people would say, you know, well, I don't want the understudy to go in. I mean, it was just, it was catty and silly. And now with this, um, it's adaptability and resilience to the core. Like even for community performances, they can opt in or opt out. They can take a leave. Like if they're auditioning for regional shows or we've had kids on tour or even on Broadway. And that to me, or, you know, they can opt out to do an extracurricular as well, like their school show, or um, maybe they have a club they want to pursue that they couldn't when we were doing competition, but they can now that it's an intensive training program. It just encourages children to have this kind of well-rounded path, which I think is really important. And it, it eliminates the tension of saying, well, you can't do this and that. You can actually do both. Or like if you're doing something that does require you to be away, like a, a national tour or a Broadway show, you know, we can work with you and it's not disruptive and everyone can celebrate instead of feeling stressed and frustrated by it. I love that. Well, Chasta, thank you so much for being here. I feel like this has been a really um, a really helpful conversation. I'm super excited about your book. I hope some of our listeners seek it out and, and read it. How can people find your book? So it is on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com for certain. Um, so I would recommend those two places first. It is on a couple of other places as well, but those two are kind of like the solid and steady spots. Um, and and then, tell, us, tell us the title again. Trash the Trophies, How to Win Without Losing Your Soul. And where can people find you on social media? Um, and is your blog still active? So the dance exec is still up, but some of the stuff has been pulled down and transferred to two, two ticks, but some of the old articles are still up there, which is great. And I revisit them on occasion, but it is a website from like 2014, 15. So it does not look modern. It's a little retro, but it is still there. And then I also have um, a personal website, chastahamilton.com. And I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, I think I'm, I'm the only Chasta Hamilton. Everything is just my name. So I'm pretty easy to find. Perfect. And I love hearing from people. I really, really do. Um, 
And I've even had some people that do competition reach out and say, we're not going to leave competition, but I appreciate the message of the book. And it's really encouraged me to rethink my values and messaging kind of within this piece. So, I, you know, there's something in it for everyone. Absolutely. So before we go, we have a little tradition where we share something that has made our heart happy in the last several days or week or so. So Robin, why don't you go first? Um, oh, I forgot to prepare something. What is <laughs> happy? Oh, I'll tell you what's made my heart happy. My son and his girlfriend are having a baby and oh, she's due in October and um, just over the last couple days, she's just like popped out. So she's, <laughs> she's beautiful. She's glowing. She's that girl that like looks all petite with a basketball under her shirt, you know? Um, so I'm just, every time I look at her, I just, I get all warm and fuzzy because Aww, I love that. My grandbaby is coming. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Chasta, what is something that has made your heart happy? So this is kind of a, a rose and a thorn. So mm. the thorn is that one of my favorite places is called the K&W Cafeteria, which is like comfort food to the max, nice. announced that they were permanently closing this week. Aww. So yeah, very, very sad um, to see another small business kind of opting out. Um, but then last night for dinner, my husband made their big spaghetti and a cherry pie to kind of like take the sting away. And I just thought that was very sweet. That is so sweet. I love that. That's awesome. So let's see something that's made my heart happy. Um, we have a little foster puppy right now. This is the first time we're fostering and she's four months old and she's an absolute tornado of a dog. <laughs> she is just so wild and crazy. Um, and we've had her for a little over a week now, or no, is it two weeks? I forget. It's, it feels like it's been a, years because it's so exhausting. It's like having a toddler in the house. But she and our, our, our dog that we already have, Ozzy, are starting to get along a lot better. And it's just so cute to see them, like, play and, like, love on each other and, like, snuggle up together sometimes. And it's just been really fun to watch that. Dogs are amazing. Dogs are the best. Oh, my God. They Dude. truly are. <laughs> really, really are. I, I would have absolutely lost my mind during COVID without my dog. <laughs> I know. You know, they're always there. They don't get, you know, that stressed. They're just great. They're just, humanity should aim to be more like dogs. Absolutely. I totally agree. Well, Chasta, um, if you're not already, I would love to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's called DSO Connect Community. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, please, please, please. Because I'm, you know, I want to continue this conversation in the group. And um, I think it would be really great for you to be in there to kind of share your perspective and, and all of that. So, so yeah, so join us in there. All right. Well, Chasta, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was so wonderful to talk to you. It was, this has been just so good. This has been like a happy heart moment for me this week, oh, too. Good. I'm so glad. Me, too. You know what? Reading your book was a happy heart moment for me, too. Oh. It was very, it was really inspiring, and it was really validating. So it was good all around. I and mean, you know, I, I, like, I found myself crying while reading it and laughing while reading it. So I highly recommend it to everybody out there. You don't have to be a studio owner to connect with the content. I feel like we just have been in like tunnel vision of just like getting it done, getting it done. And it's so nice to pause and connect with studio owners and, and just have that realization of we're all in this. Yes. 
it's it's so important. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Chasta, have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll see you in the group. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Casey. Bye. Bye.